I was thinking during our worship time, Terry and I have an amazing privilege to sit under the teaching of a Jewish rabbi, and we sit with some other people, and as he breaks open, unpacks different passages in the Old Testament. And this last week, uh, we were there, and um, we were looking at Exodus, where the Israelites are at the Red Sea, ready to cross over. And, of course, there's fear raining down on them because as they look back, they see the Egyptians coming. The Egyptians coming to take them back to slavery, and ahead all they see is this sea. And Moses said, see the way of salvation is at hand. He couldn't see it. Because it hadn't divided yet. And the word salvation there in the Hebrew, and I always love the Hebrew because most of the words, you know, what our Jewish rabbi says is most of English is based on nouns, where Hebrew is based on verbs, based on action. And the Hebrew word for salvation there is definitely an action word. And he says it, Salvation means he has saved, he is saving, and he will save. You see, we get, we get locked up in, into praying a prayer so that I'm saved. Um, salvation is done. And the reason why, we, we, the reason why worship is so important for me is that sometimes I forget it's already done. And I need to get my heart right and my mind right in a right posture before the Lord. So as we're, as we're talking about falling on our knees, um, and why we linger so long at times around worship is because we're, we're inviting the Holy Spirit in and we, we want our posture to be before the Lord as ones who are on their knees because they recognize that God the Father has saved, is saving, and will save. And so my, my request is that when you come in on Sunday morning, you come in with a heart posture and a mind posture, and even maybe sometime a physical posture of offering words of praise and our adoration to our Heavenly Father who has already taken care of the work. It's already done. It was, has been done for eternity. And it will be done for eternity. Let's take a moment and pray for our service and for our kids. Father, we, we're so excited for um, the blessing of children. Mm. And how we are supposed to come to you, Jesus, like children. 
So we pray for them during this time. We pray that you would bless the teachers and that as you speak to us here in this room through your word, that you would speak to them in their room through your word. And we surrender our hearts and our minds and our souls to you today. Um, we're, we're on our knees before you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, uh, <clears throat> I love team sports. Uh, football is probably my favorite team sport, and one of the reasons why I love team sports is because there isn't one person that helps a team win. It's, it's the whole team. It's all of them functioning together, and um, a team uh, needs to be all on the same page, needs to know what the game plan is, and each player needs to know their role, and the team needs to practice and prepare for the game. When we watch a team sport, when we watch a game in action, like when I'll go home and I'll watch my beloved Vikings who aren't doing very well right now, um, as, as we watch that, when amazing things are happening, it isn't just because they kind of fell into place. It's because they spent hours and hours and hours preparation. It's crazy because when you hear at that, the professional level, they practice everything. I mean, they practice goal line stance. They practice the last two minutes. They practice the red zone, which is inside the 20-yard line. They practice onside kicks. They practice, you name it, they practice it. They've talked about it. They've figured it out so that in the midst of the game, it just So I wonder, what can we learn that maybe we can apply to the church? I mean, what would it be like if we as a church knew our game plan and then each one of us knew our roles and then we met together and we practiced, and we put it in, and we prepared so that when we were in action, it just happened because we knew what we were supposed to do. And last week, we, at the end of the service, we dealt with fear, and, and it was definitely something that we should deal with, and we renounce fear, and we, we, you know, hey, God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind, so we walked through that, but I wonder how much fear would be, would be made to go away if we were prepared, if we knew what we were supposed to do. I think about Jesus, and Jesus called his disciples, and how did the disciples respond? They dropped everything, and they went. I mean, there were some that said, hey, you know, i, I got to you know, bury my father or whatever, and Jesus said, yeah, yeah, okay, you just go do that, whatever. 
But his followers dropped everything and went. And then what happened? After being with Jesus for about a year, he took the 12 and he said, okay, now you're going to go do what I did, so just go. Now, if you watch Chosen, you know that they were freaked out by that. You know, we're, we're what? We're supposed to go to... But they went, and not only were they empowered by the Holy Spirit, but they were prepped. They knew what to do. They knew what the plan was. They went and did it. And then a little while later, Jesus sends out the 72. Those 72 were prepped. They were ready to go. Then he sent out the 120. In the early church, in Acts 2.42-47, through 47, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread, to prayer. They hung out around. They hung around the 12 and the 72, and they learned from them so that when they dispersed all over, they knew what they were supposed to do. The picture is a group of people who are equipped and trained and sent out to do ministry. It wasn't perfect. Things happened. And we see that that's what most of Paul's writings are and, and Peter's writings are. It's like there were some people that screwed up and made bad decisions and did things for themselves. And so uh, Paul had to address those things. But they were prepped. They were trained. Today I'm going to read as our primary passage from Ephesians 4, a familiar passage, verses 11 through 13. And here's what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, listen here a second. This is important for us to get. Those that were gifted, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, equipped the body so that the body could do the works of service. So here's a question for us. How are the pastor, teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles doing today? How am I doing? Because I'm, I'm a pastor. <laughs> am I equipping? Are those who are gifted with those roles, with those giftings, are they doing? If the answer is no, then we need to figure out what we need to do different. Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So here's, here's a little challenge here. Let's evaluate the American church. What, what do we think about the American church generally? Is it doing what it's supposed to do? Or does it seem anemic? And does it seem like there's a bunch of people leaving? Who do we blame? Because that's, that's what we do. We blame people. I mean, that blame game has been going on ever since Adam and Eve. You remember, Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. We blame 
politicians, we blame media, we blame public schools, we blame, we blame. What if the problem is that the church isn't doing what the church is supposed to be doing? What if the pastors and the teachers and the evangelists and the prophets and the apostles aren't equipping the body? Then it's the church's fault. And, and just so, you know, we don't point the fingers at, at just the prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, Let, let's remember that when it comes to a professional sports team, the coaches can train and equip and have a great game plan. But if the players don't do what they're supposed to be doing, it doesn't matter. So we also have to look at the rest of us who are gifted with other gifts. If we're not doing what we've been equipped and prepared to do, again, then it's partially our fault. So it's equipping time. <laughs> that, that's my theme for this, this year. It's equipping. I want to make sure that we as a body and those in this body who are pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists, uh, apostles, that we are equipping the body. And then I want to challenge us, us all so that when we are equipped, that we go and do the work that He's called us to do because we want to reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. You see, unity comes when we are equipped and trained and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're talking about spiritual gifts. The definition we've been using for spiritual gifts is by Dr. Robert Clinton, and it's this. A spiritual gift is a God-given unique capacity which is given to each believer for the purpose of releasing a Holy Spirit-empowered ministry either in a situation or to be repeated again and again. And again, I love this definition because it's in it, it, the spiritual gifting releases a Holy Spirit-empowered ministry. Okay, As we learn what our spiritual gifts are and we function in that, we are empowered and it releases the Holy Spirit. And it releases the Holy Spirit in one-off things where maybe He gifts us with something to do something that we normally wouldn't be able to do. And sometimes He gifts us with stuff to do over and over and over and over again. So as we talk about spiritual gifts, we're going to put spiritual gifts in categories now, the issue is that um, how many categories, and oh, by the way, how many gifts are there? Well, it all depends on who you're reading, right? And your theological background. If you're Reformed, you have so many gifts. If, you have, if you're Pentecostal, you have so many gifts. If you're Evangelical, you have so many gifts. If you're mainline Catholic or Anglican, you have so many gifts. You, you can have as few as like nine spiritual gifts, or as you can have many as 27 spiritual gifts. So what's the answer? Well, <clears throat> we're, we're going to just go with a bunch of gifts. And the other problem we face is that people may define some gifts differently. So we're, we're going to live in this tension... You see, there's a lot of tension in the kingdom of God. 
And we're going to live in this tension together that is that I teach gifts. I, I, these, this is where I stand. This is where, from my reading and studying, this is where I land. And some of you out there are probably going to go, yeah, I don't totally agree with that. Well, then let's you and I dialogue and let's, let's wrestle with that tension. Uh, there's nothing weird or strange here, but you, you should know that my bent is more charismatic. Charismatic, the root word being charisma, the charisma being the spiritual, uh, the Greek word for gifts. So I believe that the gifts are for today. All the gifts. All the gifts in our four primary verses, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, um, Ephesians 4, which we just read, and even 1 Peter 4. So that's why I call myself a charismatic, is because I believe the gifts are for today. Charisma. Okay? <clears throat> Two of the books that I've read Robert Clinton by Robert Clinton and John Thompson, um, they divide the gifts into three categories. And so that's what we're going to do, because I really like how these categories play out. The first category is love gifts. Now, love gifts manifest the love of God in practical ways. So when people are using these gifts, others experience the love of God in crazy and unbelievable ways. So whether it be uh, administration or helps or serving or mercy or giving, people experience the love of God. So, when somebody who is empowered by the Holy Spirit to serve someone and meets a specific need, that person who receives experience the love of God. Now, we're going to go into more detail about these gifts as we go on, but I'm just touching on the categories right now. The second category is word gifts. Now, word gifts clarify the nature, action, and purposes of God. Um, so word gifts are gifts. People who use these gifts communicate about God and for God. So it's clarifying like the desires of God and who God is and what He is doing today and what He expects of followers uh, today. So whether it be gifts of teaching or exhortation or encouragement, apostleship, Leadership ruling, shepherding, pastoring, evangelism, it's all to clarify the nature and the action and the purposes of God. Now, an interesting thing that Clinton points out is that as he studied this, um, leaders, people who are leaders, gifted leaders, have a tendency to have at least one of these word gifts. It's just something he noticed. And so as we go through this, if you um, have one of these word gifts, or maybe a couple of them, and you've never thought of yourself as a leader, maybe just tuck that into the, hey God, what does this mean? Okay. The third category, power gifts. Power gifts demonstrate the power, presence, and reality of God. People using these gifts help to demonstrate the unseen God. We see in 1 Corinthians 12 that these gifts are a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Manifestation means reveal. So when these gifts are in action, the power of God, the, the, the power and the reality of the Holy Spirit are revealed and demonstrated. 
Here we have prophecy and tongues and interpretation, intercession, faith, discernment of spirit, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, healing, and miracles. So an example may be if somebody is struggling with some, something and you are in dialogue with something and then all of a sudden you get a word that is insight into some situation going on there and you share that, then all of a sudden it unlocks something. I remember praying for a woman up front here a, a while ago and she was asking a prayer request and so I was with one or two other people, and we started praying, and I just said to myself, I said, God, what do you have for this woman? And this phrase popped into my brain, and I shared this phrase with that woman, and she started crying. It unlocked something. It was a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. So, a couple of questions you may have before and as we look at these gifts are, Can I have more than one gift? Yes. Simple answer. Many of you, um, you may have a dominant gift, something that is prominent in your life, and you may have one or two secondary gifts that inform and influence that dominant gift and how it functions in your life. Um, Second question. What should I do if I'm unsure about the gifts that I think I have? Great question. The first step is you've asked the right question. What do I do? We start with talking to God or asking God. God, what gifts have you given me? Some of you already know. Some of you are not sure. Wherever you are, God, what gifts have you given me? Know this. If you ask God that question, he's going to answer it. Second thing that we need to do is surrender everything to God. Meaning, sometimes there can be a gift that we see somebody do or use, and we may go, God, I, I really want that gift. I just really want that gift. Now, it's okay to desire gifts because Paul tells us three different times in 1 Corinthians, and we'll, we'll see this as we go, to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Okay, he, he does tell us to do that. And we can ask for gifts. That, that's okay. But we also need to, like everything else, lay it all down. Lay it all down and be ready to receive whatever gift. Because you need to know. Uh, if you, okay, because sometimes we think of the person up front, the preacher, teacher, God, I'd like to have that gift. I know some of you are probably going, no way would I want to stand up here, but that... That, that's okay. But there's some of you that have mercy gifts. Those are just as important as teaching and, and prophecy and all that kind of stuff. We need mercy gifts. So the second thing you need to do is surrender, be ready to receive whatever information God has for you. Third thing, realize that this process of discerning your gifts is a community process. Okay, some of you are going to say or ask, so when do we get the gifts inventory test? I'm not giving you one. I'm I'm going to give you something at the very end for you to look at. But what I want you to start with, because those inventory tests can 
steer you somewhat of the wrong path. What I want you to do is start with asking God, surrendering your life to Him, and then begin to ask those that know you and be in community and learn. Because who knows when somebody you're in community with may go, you know what? I see in you the gift of. And then it gets confirmed by others. So, <clears throat> those of you, just a little sidebar, those of you that are on live stream, we are so happy that you are watching. But we just need you to know, for you to fully participate in this, you need to be here. And we invite you here and we want you to be here. All right, so the three things, if you're not sure what your gifts are, again, ask God, surrender everything to Him, and then be in community and ask those around you what gifts you may have. So, word gifts. Okay, again, word gifts we see are clarify the nature, action, and purposes of God. Okay, so that's the word gifts. And we're going to press into those gifts first. And we're going to hit three gifts this morning. Before we dive into this, um, I want to take a moment and pray for us as we begin this process. I'm going to ask you to physically take a posture of receiving. I'm going to ask you to hold your hands out like this. Father, we really desire to function according to the spiritual gifts you've given each one of us. And so, over the next few weeks, we're going to take a posture of receiving and surrender. We surrender our lives to you, and we ask that you would fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit, and that you would reveal to us the gifts that you've given each one of us, that you would confirm it in our hearts, and that you would confirm it in our community as we interact with other people. We are so grateful that you have given us the Holy Spirit and that you, through the Holy Spirit, have given us gifts to do the work that you've called us to do. You haven't left us alone. You haven't left us hanging out to dry, so to speak. You have gifted and empowered us. We are thankful and we receive. In Jesus' name, amen. So teaching, the first gift. Teaching is a person who has a gift of teaching is one who has the ability to instruct, explain, or expose biblical truth to clear understanding. Now we find these uh, information about these gifts uh, in like 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 28. We find it in Romans 12, 7, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Um, so we got those up there for you. The central thrust of this gift is to clarify the nature, action, and purposes of God. That's, that's what it's all about. Now, um, the other thing I want to just point out is, as we go through these gifts, I'm going to point out how certain we are of this definition. Now, here's, here's why. Let me put a little more around this so you understand why. Some gifts, like teaching, 
are found in three of our primary texts that we're looking at, three of the four. Plus, we see evidences and words about teaching all over Scripture. So it's pretty easy to come up with a cert- certain definition of what it is. Now, as we move forward, there's going to be other gifts that are mentioned as part of a verse. And that's all we see that word put there. But we can kind of see it being used in other texts. So the exact definition may not be as certain, but we're going to still, I mean, still give you a definition, but I want you to understand that not every definition we find about spiritual gifts is this lockdown solid definition. There are some that are a little bit uncertain, and that's okay. That's the tension we live in, and if we're really going to be truly honest about Scripture, we understand there's a lot of Scripture that there's some tension around, okay? So here, with teaching, there is really certainty around this definition that we find up on the screen. And there are good examples. Um, we even see it in like 2 Timothy 3.16 where, where Paul says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching. Okay? Now, um, what is the importance of this gift? It's extremely important because of its function in the body. Again, its function is to instruct and explain and help bring clarity to the gospel. If we are to live out the practical implications of our faith, we need to understand what Scripture says. Teaching equips us to know God and to obey Him. For teachers, it's less about preaching and more about teaching. Okay, Now, a real-life example is two weeks ago, Chris Zink was here and he taught. Now, Chris Zink's style is more of a teacher, okay? It was really great. He, he, uh, all the information was right on, and it was good all the way around. It had the feel of more of a teacher. Me, I'm much more of a preacher. I'm much more animated and all that kind of stuff. I, I have a teaching gift, but it's also surrounded by that preaching. Now, um, now, why this is also important is because there are false teachers in our world. And we need our teachers to help us understand what is right and what is wrong. And when God empowers this communication, when God empowers through His Spirit those with the gift of teaching, life transformation happens. Now, um, with all the gifts, I'm going to share a dark side or a flesh side. What happens when we operate in the flesh? A couple things I want to point out around teaching. First of all, we need to understand that in James chapter 3, 
The author to James says, not many of you should presume to be teachers, because we who teach will be judged more strictly. Are you ready, John, to go teach at a church on a regular basis? Amen. That, sometimes I think about this, and I, I, that's why when I'm studying during the week, I'm, I'm like, I want to make sure I get this right. Because there's going to come a day I'm going to be standing from before my Lord and Savior, and He's going to show me the places where I steer some people wrong. It, I'm human, so there are, there's been times when I probably have taught some things that are not exactly the way the Lord wanted me to teach. So, in the other piece, when we operate in the flesh, a teacher is trying to teach their agenda, not the truth of God's Word. Okay, so that's, that's something for you to notice when you're around teachers. Are, is that teacher really pounding their agenda, or are they expressing the truth of God's Word? Now, the last thing around this gifts, I'm just going to state some phrases, and it's going to be, you may have a teaching gift if. So what I want you to do is, is I'm not putting these up on the screen at all, okay? But I want you to just sit and focus in on these phrases. Close your eyes if that's what you need to do. And just notice if half of them or most of them are something that resonate with you. Because if they do, then you may have a teaching gift. I'm not going to say you do. We're just beginning the discerning process. So here we go. You may have the teaching gift if you have a drive within you to research and explain the truth. You may have the teaching gift if you discipline yourself to study related subjects of various topics. You may have a teaching gift if you find yourself concerned about the meaning of issues and will not be satisfied with unclear explanations. You may have a teaching gift if you are considered more of a teacher than a preacher. You may have a teaching gift if you feel called to help others learn how to study and find truth on their own. You may have a teaching gift if people know God in ever-increasing depth because of your ability to explain biblical truth. And you may have the teaching gift if you study to understand truth in the original languages for accuracy. Now, if you, you responded yes to most of them, or maybe even, you know, a, a third of them, whatever, if there was a number of you who was like, yeah, that's me, just tuck that right over here for right now, okay? We'll come back to that at the end of the service. Now I'm going to talk about the next gift, next word gift, and that's exhortation and encouragement. Uh, this definition, this word is defined by the capacity to encourage others towards biblical truth and to comfort people through the application of God's word to their needs. primary place where this is found is in Romans 12, 8, um, where 
Paul says, um, you know, we are to use our gifts according to the faith that is given us. If it is encouraged in, to encourage, then give encouragement. Uh, this is a fairly certain definition because, yes, there's only Romans 12, 8 here, but there are other multiple places where encouragement comes up. There's quite a few people in the body that have this gift. In fact, uh, of all the gifts, this is one that uh, more than any other gift has the most in a, in a body that would have it. So, okay, so what I'm trying to say is a lot of you have this gift, okay? Just, wow, that was hard. Uh, uh, people who are able to listen to others and then offer words of encouragement could probably be an encourager. Maybe you're somebody who likes to write notes. You're probably an encourager. The central thrust of this is to apply biblical truth. Now, you see the difference. A teacher unpacks the truth. An encourager comes along and says, hey, here's how it applies. And so, so for me, even though I have a teaching gift, a teaching gift for me is a minor thing for me, I, I'm more of an encourager when it comes to my message. Yes, I want to unfold the truth, but I want to press on you application-wise. I want to say hard things to you and encouraging things to you to, to get you to do things differently. Application is a big, big deal. Now, the encouragement gift uh, for many who, uh, especially for Clinton who put this uh, one of the resources, it um, expresses itself in three different ways. One is admonition, that is urging others to take action based on biblical truths, uh, can come across as correction. Again, that, that's what I like to do up here. I like to admonition. Um, it also comes across as encouragement or to lift up or build up others by applying biblical truths. I enjoy doing that too. And it can come across as comfort. Provide a measure of comfort to somebody who is hurting as a result of something going on in their life. And so you want to apply biblical truths. So um, John Thompson calls encouragement or exhortation mercy with a kick. I love that. You have a sense of mercy, but you don't just keep it here. You want to kick some people. Get moving. Go. Do something. Change. I like mercy a lot more now. The dark side to encouragement is this. Manipulation. If I use my words... And I'm kind of encouraging people, but I want to encourage them to do what I want them to do. That is when encouragement operates in the flesh. So those of us who have encouragement, we have to make sure that our hearts are right so we're not manipulating people. We're just challenging them to apply God's truth. Okay, so now we're going to do the same thing I did before. You may have the gift of exhortation or encouragement if you, so sit 
close your eyes, whatever, and see how many of these land on you. You may have the gift of encouragement if, you, if people react strongly for or against what you say. You may have the gift of encouragement if you frequently find yourself giving advice to guide others through difficult issues. You may have the gift of encouragement if you find that you have timely words to share with others to encourage them. You may have the gift of encouragement if people frequently confide in you because of your sound mind and biblical knowledge. You may have the gift of encouragement if you often sense divine urgency to get something done and are willing to communicate that urgency to others. You may have the gift of encouragement if you are not satisfied with a superficial truth because you want people to use that truth in their lives. And finally, you may have the gift of encouragement if you love to encourage others to grow. Again, if you had a number of those that you kind of, yeah, that's kind of me, just for right now, set that off to the side because I want to hit one more gift this morning and then we'll wrap it up. The last gift that we're going to look at this morning is apostleship. Now, The definition here is the gift of apostleship refers to special leadership capacity to move with authority from God to create new ministry structures, churches, and parachurch organizations to meet needs and to help develop and appoint leadership in these structures. Ephesians 4.11 is where the main uh, word is at, but there are other places in Scripture. The central thrust is creating new ministry. Now, this word is one of those words that people really get uptight about. The reason why they get uptight about it is because we know that there were 12 men, and then afterwards Paul, that are apostles. They were chosen by Jesus. We, we call them capital A Apostles. Now, there are some that believed that when those 12 plus Paul, um, when they um, ceased to live on this earth, the gift of apostleship also ceased. Now, there's others who believe that apostleship is in office that was continued by other people other than the 12. And there's ample evidence as we look in Scripture of others in the Bible who were called apostles. But again, this still creates an issue because you got the capital A apostles and we call this maybe the small apostles. So for me, um, I I believe that there is a difference between the capital A apostle and the small A apostle. That those 12 plus Paul, yes, (laughs) There, there was a calling and an anointing in their life that nobody has since. Um, I also believe that this gift of apostleship continues today because there are people who are able to create new ministries. They have some crazy level of authority and ability to start new ministries. So, uh, for example, all you have to do is think of like an organization like YWAM. Oh, my brain just went to... But the founder of YWAM... Anyways, the founder of YWAM 
started a ministry that is global. I would call him a small a apostle. He has the gift of apostleship. Look at Campus Crusade, same thing, Youth for Christ, and other church movements from around the world. Now, I want us to remember something is that the Greek word apostolos was a common term in the first century before Jesus called disciples and named them apostles. It means messenger or envoy. So there was people called apostles long, long before the twelve were called because it's meaning messenger and envoy. Now, one example of the difference between someone who is an apostle and somebody who is an evangelist. John Wesley, you've heard of him. He early church father. He preached all over, and out of John Wesley's ministry became the Methodist denomination. As he was preaching, he set up structures so that churches started. John Wesley, we could call, had the gift of apostleship. Now, a contemporary of his was George White Whitfield. George Whitfield went and preached, and thousands upon thousands came to know the Lord. But when he was done, there was nothing, no structure, no ministry. He was an evangelist. Okay, One's not better than the other. They're just gifted differently. Now, <clears throat> like I said, there, there's a dark side to all gifts. The dark side to apostleship is empire building. This is someone who all they're concerned about is their empire. They're, they're going to say all the right words. But their, their goal is not the kingdom of God. It, they may say it is the kingdom of God, but they're more interested in building their empire. So, now, let me go through this. You may have the gift of apostleship, so close your eyes or whatever you need to do, and I'll read through these. You may have the gift of apostleship if you have a call by God to send pastors out pioneering new churches. You may have the gift of apostleship if you have a reputation for being an influence to the influencers. You may have the gift of apostleship if you have a forcefully forceful personality which can trust God to do what is necessary in unusual ways so that the kingdom of God is expanded. You may have the gift of apostleship if you teach with a clear understanding about the nature of church and its purpose to, for the purpose of multiplication. You may have the gift of apostleship if you can sense what God wants to do and you are not afraid to appoint new leaders to do it. You may have the gift of apostleship if, you, um, if strong leaders will follow you and relocate to be with you. You may have the gift of apostleship if you have influenced area senior pastors to follow your vision. Again, if there was multiple of those things, just set that off to the side and hang on to that. Now, we're going to wrap up the service. We have three minutes, but I'm going to take a little more than three. So, Eric, if you could come on up as we wrap up the service. Because this is something I want to do at the end of every service. And um, there was some introductory thing, the stuff that I wanted to teach on last week, but because we had a little Holy Spirit interruption, 
which was really good. I didn't get to that. So I plugged that in the front end, and that's why the message went a little longer today. Next week we won't go as long. But um, if you think that you may have the gift of teaching, uh, the gift of encouragement, or the gift of apostleship, uh, I want you to begin the adventure of discovering if that's really you today. I want you to take risk. We talked about risk in this process. And here's how I want you to do that. I want you to come forward, and I'll tell you when to come forward. The elders and their wives are going to come up. I'm going to have, have the elders and their wives come on up to the front right now. And what the elders and their wives are going to do is they're going to pray for you and anoint you with oil. You see, um, the reason why we're going to do this is that in multiple places, it talks about laying hands on. In fact, in 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul says to Timothy, For this reason, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. There's just something that's spiritual that happens at times when we lay hands on people. Anointing with oil begins in the Old Testament, and it was used to anoint priests. Priests, or to anoint with oil is to set someone apart. And so we want to set you apart for this journey of discovery uh, for today, teaching, encouraging, or apostleship. Oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's empowerment when it comes upon you. And so as we are praying for you, we're going to lay hands on you and we're going to anoint you with oil. Because we want the Holy Spirit to come upon you. We want to set you apart for the service that God has called you to do and to be. All right? Now, all that's going to come up, you come up, all you're going to do is you're going to share with him, I think I may have the gift of teaching. Or I think I may have the gift of encouragement. They, ask, they may ask you a question like, so what, tell me a little bit more about that. And you say, well, here's, here's kind of why I feel that way then they're going to be listening and they're going to be praying. They may speak a word over you or they may just encourage you and then they're going to pray and they're going to anoint you with oil and off you're going to go. Okay, so it's really simple but very important that we take this step. So Eric's going to lead us in a song. So I'm going to have everybody stand up. And if, if none of these gifts were for you, trust me, I want you to come up and get in line. In, uh, we have four different couples, so you can stay there. And Terry and I may jump in if we need to, but we'll see where we go from there. So, Father, thank you for the gifts of teaching and encouragement and apostleship. So as our people stay, take the step of faith, of stepping into this adventure, I pray that you would anoint them and empower them with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So come. Everybody else sing. Otherwise, the rest of you come.